You're listening to Week 8 of Desires of the Heart, Themes of Ignatian Spirituality, a 10-week introduction to Ignatian Spirituality and Prayer. Each week presents a brief aspect of Ignatian Spirituality and offers a relevant meditation. This week's theme is Making Choices in Christ, Ignatian Decision-Making, Determining God's Will. This week's podcast will be slightly different than the other weeks in that there will be no meditation, but it should be just as fruitful. You may have been listening to Desires of the Heart because you wanted to learn about the basics of Ignatian spirituality, or you wanted some fresh meditations. You may have also wanted to learn about Ignatian discernment and decision-making. Decision-making in the Ignatian tradition is not just a one-time event where you're making only a major decision. Ignatian decision-making works its way into the everyday, smaller decisions. By learning the tools and methods of making more major decisions in the Ignatian tradition, you'll learn skills to make decisions on the smaller, day-to-day scale. Let's begin by reflecting a moment or two on this passage from the prophet Jeremiah. I alone know the plans I have for you. Plans to bring you prosperity and not disaster. Plans to bring about the future you hope for. Then you will call to me. You will come and pray to me, and I will answer you. You will seek me, and you will find me because you will seek me with all your heart. Through Jeremiah, God calls us to implicit trust, that God will bring us a hopeful future, but it does not come without going to God in prayer. This is the foundation for Ignatian decision-making, prayer and trust in God. Let me read you an excerpt from St. Ignatius' autobiography that is an example of an early moment of his decision-making. I warn you, the point is to show you how not to make decisions. As he was going on his way then, a moor riding on a mule came up to him, and they went on talking together. They began to talk about Our Lady, and the moor said it seemed to him that the Virgin had indeed conceived without man, but he could not believe that she remained a virgin after giving birth. In support of this, he cited the natural reasons that suggested themselves to him. The pilgrim, St. Ignatius, in spite of many reasons he gave him, could not dissuade him from this opinion. The moor then went on ahead so rapidly that he lost sight of him, and he was left to think about what had transpired with the moor. Various emotions came over him and caused discontent in his soul as it seemed to him that he had not done his duty. This also aroused his indignation against the Moor, for he thought that he had done wrong in allowing the Moor to say such things about Our Lady, and that he was obliged to defend her honor. 
a desire came over him to go in search of the moor and strike him with his dagger for what he had said. He struggled with this conflict of desires for a long time, uncertain to the end as to what he was obliged to do. The moor, who had gone ahead, had told him that he was going to a place on the same road a little further on, very near the highway, but the highway did not pass through the place. Tired of examining what would be best to do, and not finding any guiding principle, he decided as follows, to let the mule go with the reins slack as far as the place where the road separated. If the mule took the village road, he would seek out the moor and strike him. If the mule did not go toward the village but kept on the highway, he would let him be. He did as he proposed. Although the village was a little more than 30 or 40 paces away, and the road to it was very broad and very good, our Lord willed that the mule took the highway and not the village road. Well, this passage has a lot of feelings and emotions and desires that we're quite familiar with in Ignatian spirituality, but I think Ignatius went about this all wrong. First of all, he left it fully up to chance, to the mule's direction. There was no real discernment. In fact, the story says St. Ignatius was tired of examining what would be best to do. Instead, he hoped God would lead the donkey in the correct direction. Thankfully, the donkey led him away from murder. And thankfully, Ignatius learned from his error and eventually developed his own rules and methods for making choices for and with God. We are first given some pointers. First, the choices in front of me ought to be between morally correct things, not sinful things. This is basic. On the road, Ignatius was clearly trying to decide between good and evil. This pointer says that here there is no need for discernment because the choice is clear. We choose the morally good path. Indeed, if we're to approach discernment, it needs to be between good choices. The second pointer is this. My choices should be for serving God's greater glory. Remember the principle and foundation? Our purpose on this earth is to serve God's kingdom, and that means all our choices, no matter how small, ought to glorify God, build up the kingdom, and serve our neighbor. And we'll often notice that what does that best are the good choices before me. But St. Ignatius says, I should be in a place of freedom and indifference between the choices. This means I'm not attached to one or another. It does not mean I don't have a preference. It simply means I hold these choices up before God and come to a place of being okay if God leads me to one choice versus another. This is where trusting God comes in. You're detached from your choices because you trust God will lead you to the best and most life-giving choice. The final pointer is that you should never make a decision while in desolation. If you recall, desolation is a time when you feel empty and tepid, where the evil spirit may be lurking. Wait until there is some consolation before making a firm commitment in any direction.
This leads us to the three times for making decisions. The first is a time of clarity that comes with no ability to doubt that it is from God. It is unmistakable. This is rare. We think of when St. Paul was changed dramatically when he fell off his horse on the road to Damascus. Again, very rare. The second time is when we experience an alternating of certainties and doubts, of consolation and desolation. This is a good time because God is speaking to us through these alternate feelings. We have the chance to weigh them and gain better understanding from the experience. Finally, the third time we can make decisions is when we feel nothing going on. It's a time of quiet where we feel neither the peace of consolation nor desolation. We can think clearly during this time because since we sense little movement from God, we can focus on our own reasoning and use logic. So remember, Ignatius tells us we should never make decisions in desolation. Wait for peaceful quiet or consolation to make firm decisions. As I said, there is no meditation this week, simply an overview of various ways to make decisions. I encourage you to consider any important decisions before you right now. Could be about getting married, deciding on a job, discerning retirement, moving across country, deciding whether to buy a house. Even if you don't have any big decisions before you, knowing the following methods will be helpful in the future. Remember, the choices before you should be good. They should lead you toward God in some way, and you should generally be detached from them equally, that is, not clinging to one choice. If you sense you've already made your mind up, then you may wish to pray more for the grace of freedom before you move into prayerful discernment. Ignatius calls any big decision an election. An election consists not of just one way of weighing choices, but of several methods that provide you with information from which to make a decision. The first approach is this. List and weigh the advantages and disadvantages of each choice in their various dimensions. This is sort of the pro and con list, the logical route. You make a column for each choice before you, and under each, you list the advantages and the disadvantages of the choice. Then you remove anything from the list that might be a selfish motive, and then see where you stand. Another approach to decision making is imagining a stranger who has sought your help in his or her attempt to better respond to God's call. The person before you that you imagine has the same decision and the same choices before them. What would you tell this person? You see what advice you would give to this person for whom you would want the best. The point here is that you're acting as an outsider. Basically, what advice would I give someone in my position? Another method is imagining yourself at the moment before your death where there would be freedom and clarity. You're in your deathbed. What would be the decision you would want to have made looking back on your life? 
Ignatius says you can also imagine being in heaven before Christ on the day of judgment. Your life has ended and you're talking with him about your decision. What decision would give you happiness and joy in presenting it to Christ on the day of judgment? Some election methods may be more helpful to some than to others. Use what works. Another way could consist of two prayer periods, one in which you approach Jesus in your imagination, deciding on one choice, and talk to him about it and see how he responds. The second prayer period later on, you again approach Jesus, but this time as if you were making the other choice. What does Jesus say to you each of these two prayer times? You can even spend a few days and pretend as if you have made one decision. See what it feels like. Then spend a few days and pretend as if you've made the other decision. Note your feelings. There's a great adaptation of the spiritual exercises based on the spirituality of Teilhard de Chardin called The New Spiritual Exercises by Louis Savary. In it, he presents a method of making an election that lets you meditate on how the different parts of your brain make decisions. The part that is your gut reaction, fight or flight. The part that considers long-term consequences. The part that responds to pleasure and pain, and so on. It's another unique method of gathering data. Discerning a major decision in the Ignatian way is about coming to a place of freedom and detachment from either alternative, as well as gathering data from your prayer. After this data gathering, the discerner should reflect on what he or she has learned. Remember, all this prayer and discernment should be done to the best of your ability. Don't stress out about it. Recall the Jeremiah passage. I alone know the plans I have for you. Plans to bring you prosperity and not disaster. Plans to bring about the future you hope for. Then you will call me. You will come and pray to me and I will answer you. You will seek me and you will find me because you will seek me with all your heart. As long as you've made a good discernment, make your decision even if you're not certain about it. 100% certainty is rare. We're human and we will always have doubts and fears. We don't control the future. You just want to make sure you've discerned and prayed with your choice as well. If there are no red flags, decide and trust in God. If you trust that the choices before you are good, then you know that God will be delighted whichever you end up choosing. When I've been in the midst of a difficult discernment, I've sometimes hesitated to make a decision because I expect some blatantly obvious sign from God. As I said, those first-time moments for decision-making, like lightning bolts and St. Paul falling off his horse, are rare. And this is an important thing in Ignatian decision-making. Indeed, in Christianity in general, God ultimately puts the decision in our hands. God gives us free choice and free will. Yes, the discernment process is done with God. God reveals our deepest desires and what might be best for us and for God, but it is we as humans who must ultimately commit to a decision 
and move forward in trust. Let's recap. Two weeks ago, we discussed the discernment of spirits, knowing how the good and evil spirit work in your life. They are active also in making decisions. The evil spirit can try to insert selfish motives in your discernment process, even making bad choices seem good, things that try to give you reason to be drawn away from God. Be cautious of that. Then last week, we talked about God's call through Jesus, a call to be on mission with him, that you have a part in a great project for the world. Your decisions should be in light of your role in that project. In past weeks, we also spoke about the importance of desire. If you have no desire for a choice before you, that's a bad sign. Christians tend to place too much on suffering. You should never make a choice based on the suffering it may bring. All of life inevitably includes discomfort and suffering. In our two final weeks, we look at sin and love, two sort of bookends for the spiritual exercises. For more resources relevant to this week's theme, including a link to the new spiritual exercises and a slew of discernment resources, visit GodInAllThings.com. And if you'd like to offer this 10-week series to your group or parish, go to GodInAllThings.com slash desires to donate and download a PDF of the entire series.